Good morning. All right. Great to be with you guys again here this morning. Um, am I, are we blasting out the overflow again today? Apparently I was a bit loud last week. My apologies. We'll uh, see how we can do with that one. Um, and uh, this morning I have the privilege of getting to go through Philippians chapter 4 again and picking up where we finished last week. And, and today we get to talk about gentleness and the peace of God and rejoicing and anxiety and worry all within just a couple short little verses. And so anyone struggling these days to rejoice? Anyone struggling with peace in this time? Anyone struggling to be thankful or, or notice that we're a little short with people and anxiousness and worry are rising? I mean, this, this passage is just like tailor-made for today in that regard, and it's all just within a couple verses. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, or it'll be up on the slides. We're going to start in verse 4. So Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all people. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this passage obviously deals with anxiety and, 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 and worry and for anyone that knows, this last year has obviously been ridiculous and increasing anxiety and worry in our midst. And if you were following any studies, even prior to COVID, anxiety, worry, depression were off the charts. I mean, the reality of the mental health issues going on today are just un un truly unprecedented in, in recent history regarding what's going on, specifically amongst our younger people, but all generations. And this I generation, those that have grown up on social media and grown up with that being there, that's been affecting their lives from their very youngest of ages are being infected so much by this reality. I mean, all ages are, but especially those. I mean, about 15 years ago, when I started uh, working with Bible schools for young people, for 18 to 30-year-olds primarily, I mean, every once in a while, we would have someone that needed to seek professional help for something dealing with mental health issues. I mean, it was rare, but it, every once in a while it happened. But by the time I left the ministry of, of, of missions about just a year ago, I mean, it was ridiculous the amount of missionaries we had. Now, I'm talking people who are sold out for Jesus, right? The cream of the crop, those that have given their lives for Christ, moved overseas and said, I want to change the world for Jesus. Of that group of people, the amount of people that we were seeing having to seek professional help for medical assistance with, with mental health issues, Issues was just off the charts. It was mind-blowing of what's going on. There is a mental health crisis that's happening that I think is going to be one of the biggest issues the church has to address over these coming years. I, I, I want to just acknowledge that reality because the reality is Paul, I mean, he's not a doctor and he's not a therapist. And in this passage, he's not specifically addressing the issue of mental health. But I want to acknowledge the fact that this is a very real issue. And I don't want to try and like oversimplify it and put like a victorious Jesus bumper sticker, a Jesus loves you bumper sticker on a very complex reality as we begin to talk about anxiousness and worry. Because these are real issues and it's something we need to, to address as real complex issues. And Paul, he's addressing a very real issue in the Philippi church. But it, it's not necessarily the mental health side of it, though obviously that would be included. Right? I just want to acknowledge that first before we jump in. Because here in chapter four, he's addressing the situation the Philippians are in, and they are experiencing incredible anxiety and incredible worry, because as we talked about last week, they're dealing with not just divisions in the church, but a high level of suffering and persecution in the church as well. 
And, and so for them, worry and, and anxiety is just a part of their life these days. It's, and, and we saw last week you know, that Paul was telling them in Philippians to, to live a life worthy of this upward calling, right? To proclaim the gospel with their lives amidst the divisions, amidst the attacks, amidst all those things, and especially amidst the suffering and the persecution that is just their everyday reality that's going on with them. I mean, if you can imagine their situation with all the hardships, I mean, they're facing persecution from family and neighbors who are now starting to attack them because of their faith. They're facing economic hardships in that society. When you turn away from, from, from the, the gods of the area and you begin to follow Christ, it's going to have a massive financial impact of what you can and can't do. And they're also facing physical suffering and beatings and jailings and torture. And soon, some of them already, but soon many, many, many of them will be facing martyrdom for their faith, right? So uh, with all those things that are going on, I think there might be a few reasons for them to be struggling to rejoice, <laughs> struggling with some anxiety, struggling to be gentle in their responses to people as they come with their attacks and other things. And that's the situation Paul writes into. Here in verse 4, he starts off and he says, rejoice, not just once. I will say it again, rejoice, he says. Now, right from the start, he mentions it twice. You have to rejoice. And, and now that may seem like a strange thing. You know, fake it till you make it. Turn that frown upside down. Just pretend that everything's okay. But that's not what Paul's doing here because rejoicing for Paul is not some fleeting feeling. It's not, you don't rejoice because things are going well or because uh, the, the COVID is finally, we've moved to stage two in Washington state, right? That's, well, there is a reason to rejoice. That's not the kind of rejoicing he's talking about here. The kind of rejoicing he's talking about here is a constant choice he makes to rejoice no matter the circumstances. It's not based upon rejoicing because of the circumstances. It's involves rejoicing because of the God who is over the circumstances, right? That he is with Jesus, and that is his reason for rejoicing. And the problem is that a lot of Christians today and back then, we struggle with experiencing the full range of emotions often shown in Scripture. The Bible talks a lot about mourning and suffering and pain and lamenting and weeping and sorrow. And so as a result, we often avoid the Psalms. We avoid most of the prophets. We avoid so much because that isn't a lot of fun stuff. And it doesn't jive very well with kind of this victorious Christian life. We all want to proclaim and just say, Jesus will make everything better. But Paul had no problem addressing that reality. And in the book of Philippians alone, he addresses his own suffering multiple times. He acknowledges that he's suffering. He acknowledges that he's under attack. He acknowledges that he's in prison, that he might soon die, and that people are abandoning him. And that's just in Philippians, let alone what he says in Corinthians and other places. Where in 1 Corinthians, he actually says, I gave up on life itself at one point. It got so bad. And yet, 16 times in this letter, Paul acknowledges that, or says that we need to rejoice or calls them to rejoice or he takes joy of what's going on in this situation. And again, not because he just chooses that it says that or because he's just responding to the situation or he's just choosing like, I'm just going to pretend everything is okay. But he's so rooted in the reality of who God is and his promises that no matter the circumstances, he can say rejoice. And this isn't spoken in fun times for Paul. He's not enjoying life right now from the circumstances around him as he's in prison. But he's saying we rejoice because despite whatever I see in front of me, God is present, God is coming back soon, and he is real, and so we rejoice. An incredible word, an incredible message for us today. But he doesn't stop there. He then jumps in verse 5 and he says, Let your gentle spirit be known to all people. The Lord is near. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now here in the NASB version up on the screen, it says let your gentle spirit be known. Other translations would say things like let your gentleness or your gentle forbearance or your reasonableness. The meaning here of gentle is, is not just be gentle, but it's specifically be gentle for those, your response to divisions, your response to attacks. It's how we respond to things that are unpleasant or negative or attacks. That's the, that's the key here. And in fact, in the Greek, the emphasis isn't even on the word gentle. The imperative, the command in the Greek is actually on the word to be known. So the emphasis on this passage isn't just be gentle, but we should be known. The thing that others should testify about the church is our gentleness in how we respond to attacks and persecution and suffering. Maybe we should let one sit there for a second. <laughs> I mean, what would the world say about the testimony of the church of our response to persecution, attacks, false statements, slander? Are, are we known as a church for our gentleness? Is, is that our testimony to the world? The way that we love like Jesus, respond like Jesus to the world? Or more specifically, what about me? What am I known for? When I'm attacked or slandered or someone says something about me or my family or, 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 or shares something that I disagree with, am I known? Is that what I'm known for? Is that the way that I respond to people when there's tension or division or angst actually draws them to Jesus. My response of how, my spirit of how I respond draws them to him. Is that what I'm known for? Because that's what Paul is talking about here. It's a hard message. We're actually going to come back to this in a second. We're going to talk about how through what Paul says. But so how can they be gentle here? Well, you got to keep reading because then it says, because the Lord is near. You know, scholars say that when it says the Lord is near, we don't actually know exactly which of those meanings Paul is intending. When he says the Lord is near, is he saying he's near in the sense that he's, his return is imminent? He's coming back soon? Or is it the Lord is near in that Jesus' presence is with us? You know, my favorite uh, Pauline scholar, it's Dr. Gordon Fee. I'll quote him a lot in the future. Love the man. And anyways, in this passage, the way he describes, and many others, he says he's convinced that it's actually both intentions intended here by Paul that Jesus is returning soon, and that he is here with us, and therefore we can rejoice. We can rejoice because his return is imminent, and so we don't have to be worried about whatever the temporal trials are, because all injustices are going to be righted. Jesus is returning soon, so we can rejoice, and we can be gentle, amen? But it's also the other meaning that because Jesus is right here with us right now, we can rejoice. We can walk in gentleness because the savior of the world, the king of the universe is right here with us at this moment. Emmanuel, God with us. And so we can walk in gentleness and respond to others in love because the Lord is near. And he doesn't stop there. He keeps going. You know, the, the English translation sometimes gets a little funky because of these verse references that get in the way. And if you don't know, I mean, the verse references were actually added by some dude riding across horseback years, hundreds of years ago, right? I mean, they weren't inspired. It was because he needed to print it and needed an easy way to do it. So those aren't inspired. The, the original text had no verse references, has no punctuation. And so you just got to keep reading. So it says, rejoice because the Lord is near. And then it continues and it says, and don't be anxious or worry because the Lord is near. We don't have to freak out. Right? And, and so with this passage, again, you think about 
the situation of the original readers, of the, of the Philippians back then, of dealing with the divisions and, and the suffering and the persecution, I mean, they would have plenty of reasons to be anxious and to be worried, far more than I would have today. And yet Paul's response is, you can rejoice because God is with you and he's returning soon. And you don't have to walk in anxiousness, you don't have to be worried because he's right there with you. I mean, if the God of the universe, the one who spoke the cosmos into existence, is right there with them, right at their side, obviously they don't need to freak out. They don't need to be worried and to be anxious. And then the same for us today, right? I mean, if the God of the universe is right here with us, the one who spoke the cosmos into existence, I mean, do we really have to assume worst case scenario in every situation? Obviously not, but it's what we do, right? I mean, it's just so evident in my own life. It's especially evident in my own life and even in my kids' lives. You know, my kids, they love to um, build stuff like Legos and magnetiles. And I mean, here's a picture. Our house looks like this all the time, right? They love magnetiles. By the way, if you've got young kids, greatest toy in the world, they'll get the knockoff version. Half the price, just as cool. And uh, anyway, so the greatest toys ever. We've got so many things. They build all the time with these things. They love them. But what happens inevitably almost every time when they build some big house, they try and put a roof on it, and the magnets aren't strong enough to handle the the, the size of the roof, and it starts falling down. And when that happens, they pretty much, like clockwork, start freaking out, right? Because the whole thing, you can just kind of watch the anxiety anxiety rising as they see it's not working, and, and oftentimes it falls, and they get angry, and they smash the whole thing, or they throw the pieces across the room, right? And, and while this is happening, I mean, Sarah and I, we're often, like, literally right next to them as this happens, saying, can we help? You know, we're here. We can help you. And they don't turn to us, right? They just keep their tunnel vision. They're trying to do it on their own and getting frustrated. No, I got this. And, and they just move right ahead, and sometimes Sarah and I, we can give each other, you know, that knowing smile, like, oh, it's so cute. I mean, the meltdown, three, two, one, here it comes, right? And, and especially our, our five-year-old redheaded, emotionally supercharged child, right? He's, he's right there. Like, we, we know it's coming. And, and I can look at that, and I can say, oh, my foolish kids. I mean, don't they realize? I mean, I'm right here next to them. Obviously, I can help them, and they won't turn to me. Oh, they're so immature, so foolish, so faithless. I mean, it's them who's foolish, right? Because I, I wouldn't do that, would I? I mean, if the God of the universe was literally right next to me, the one who created us out of nothing, the one who spoke the world into existence, I mean, I wouldn't go straight to worst-case scenarios, would I? I wouldn't start figuring out everything's falling down and, and flipping out, or I would on a regular basis, actually, right? I'm no better. In fact, I'm far worse because I should know better, and yet I go right there so fast sometimes. In fact, last week, man, I, I, I got kicked in the stomach with one of these things. And I'm, I'm going to right now just blow apart any, burst any bubble you may have of James, a super missionary, a super pastor, right here at the beginning. Just get it out of the way. I got major issues. And last week, oh, I got hit hard. You see, for, for most of our lives as missions, we've been just having to seek the Lord, and he's provided everything we've needed. Right? We've been missionaries. Since I was 17, I've been on the mission field and had no money the entire time. And God just provides miraculously time after time after time. It's just the norm. As a single person, I had like 150 bucks, sometimes 200 a month of financial support, which may seem like a lot if you're just living in the bush. 
But I was crisscrossing the globe constantly, going all across the world, spending tens of thousands of dollars on transport and place to stay, and yet God provided every penny of it miraculously. Often I just feel I'm supposed to go, and I just go, and I have no idea how it's going to be paid for, and the things just get paid as we go, and God always takes care of it, and salvations are happening, people are getting healed, God just moves, and it's just, was, that was the, the water I was swimming in. It was just the mountains that God was moving all the time, and it was just normal for me. In fact, when I got married, or just before I I got married and met Sarah, it was, we came together and we had $1,000 between the two of us. That was our net worth, $1,000. And I was stoked because I married a rich woman because that was all hers, right? <laughs> I, I, I married a woman who had $1,000. And so we were doing good because I had nothing and I had married up so high in so many ways. And, and, and just before we got married, uh, I was in Uganda out in the bush bush and she couldn't get home, and I got a phone call, and she's like, James, I need to let you know, I was at this missions conference yesterday, and I felt the Lord say I was supposed to give $1,000 to this mission work in China. And I'm like, oh man, for a moment we had money and we we're going to start life. And so I'm 28 and we're starting marriage with nothing, <laughs> like just, just nothing. But yet God provided miraculously day in and day out. I mean, it was been an amazing journey of us just getting to see God move. And it's never been something that I've had to really flip out about because God's miraculous provision for us, the way that we've lived has actually been, it's been normal, not the exception. We just expect him to move. We have no paychecks. We just expect God to move, and God always provides. It's been amazing. So fast forward to yesterday, or last week, Tuesday, I'm sitting in the office, and I get some news, and it's a major financial hit, and it's one of those ones that just, oh, right? You know what I'm feeling? Like, just it makes you queasy inside, and you're like, oh, Lord. In fact, I didn't even say Lord, because I was just looking internally, and it hit, and I was struggling. In fact, Shannon, he got a firsthand witness of it. He was right there as I kind of had my internal meltdown. And I became internally my five-year-old, five-year-old redheaded, emotionally supercharged kid. Internally, just my whole world falling apart. My magnetile house roof is caving in. And I'm just like, ah, what are we going to do? And I start freaking out. Now, I've been in this situation thousands of times. For some reason, this mountain seals a little bit different. And it hit me. It hit me hard. And I'm not proud of it, but I started freaking out. And so I'll come back to that story in a second, but uh, along with that, what I wanted to recognize is that uh, the Philippian situation in this, it, it, their situation obviously is so much worse than any situation I was in at the time. I mean, they're dealing with actual suffering, not just a, a small financial hit. Right? And I even got this incredible church behind me that's, that's been doing so awesome for us and so supportive in so many ways. They don't have that, that reality behind them. I was in a situation where, I mean, I'm even receiving a paycheck now, which is a weird thing for us after an entire life living without one, right? But you know what actually happened in that time for me of receiving a paycheck? I kind of realized I'd prefer to not have one. Because then it was so much easier to trust God when everything was trusting him. It became so much harder when I started knowing, actually knowing to the penny how much is going to be on that check. Because I began counting it. And thinking, oh, here's how I can spend it. Oh, here's how it goes. And all that got figured out. And so, man, it just took me by surprise. And I just, I just got lost, got off track. But the Philippians, their situation is so much worse. They are in this position where their lives are genuinely at risk. And they're trying to trust God in this place. And Paul's response to them is rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. Walk in gentleness because Jesus is right there with you. And he's coming back soon. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to worry. 
Just pray and recount the thankfulness that you have to God, and His peace will be upon you. And this is all brought together so beautifully through the story of Jesus with His disciples. Now, you guys would know this story. It's pretty famous. Jesus speaking to a massive crowd of at least 15,000 people when you count the women and children, not just the 5,000 men, right? And, and he's been teaching all day, but there's a growing worry amongst the disciples because as Jesus is teaching, they're recognizing a problem. People are getting hungry because Jesus is going all day. And as time goes on, their anxiety begins to, to rise a little bit as they recognize that very soon they're going to have 15,000 people coming to them for food, and they don't know what to do. And so they're waiting, and finally Jesus takes a breath, he takes a little bit of a break, and they rush Jesus, and they, they say, Jesus, Jesus, wh what are we going to do? You've got to send these people away. And Jesus, in Mark chapter 6, he answers them, and he says this, you give them something to eat. Now, what's awesome is the Apostle John actually tells us that Jesus knew what he was going to do, and he's just testing him right here. This is just a test for them. He's, just, he's literally just messing with them, just seeing, like, how are you going to handle this? He already knows what's going on. He's got a big smile on his face. He knows what he's going to do, but the disciples don't. And so with Jesus right next to him, they say in the next verse, they said, that would take more than half a year's wages, Jesus. Are we going to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? They're freaking out. Right? They don't know how they're going to feed all these families. Their magnetile roof is starting to cave in. They're wigging out. They don't know what to do, what's going on here. Or they can't feed these families. Or in our situation today, they, 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 maybe they got the wind knocked out of them financially. Or, 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 or maybe they're, they're just waiting for that pink slip to come from work. Or maybe they can't handle any more of what's going on with this online school and it's stressing them out. Or, or whatever's going on with, with the doctor of, of maybe the diagnosis from the doctor that's just never clear and nothing ever makes sense. Or a loved one's sick. Whatever it is, they're stressed out. They're worrying. Anxiety is reaching very high levels. But then comes Andrew. John tells us that Andrew took Jesus literally and he went out to look for food. And Andrew comes back with a boy like, okay, we have food. Oh, wait. It's five loaves and it's two fish. God provided, but maybe kind of the way they expected, not enough. And here they are without anything. Like, what do we do? And meanwhile, while they're trying to count all this stuff out, the Alpha and the Omega is right there next to them. He's right there, physically, like standing right there next to them. The one that created the universe is right there. And they're freaking out because they don't know what to do. Like, it's their problem. And then Jesus does his thing. The Prince of Peace brings his peace. And the God of Peace provides, and everyone is fed. And there's a ton left over, and the disciples get one of the greatest lessons in rejoicing and gentleness and not needing to be anxious and worrying, just like Paul would describe to the Philippians over 30 years later. It's an amazing story of God's provision. That all they needed to do was to turn to, the Jesus, to Jesus who was right next to them the whole time. But they kept trying to fight this battle on their own, and they let the anxiety and the worry take over them. But Jesus was with them the whole time. So what about us today? Is Jesus with us right now? I mean, obviously, we know theologically, yes, he's with us. The Holy Spirit is with us, right? I mean, it's, Jesus says in John chapter 14, in verse 26, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name... He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Jesus, my peace I leave with you. 
mean, think about Philippians here. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled. You don't need to be anxious or worry, neither let them be afraid. I mean, it's almost like Jesus is reading right out of Philippians chapter 4. Or maybe Paul knew Jesus pretty well. Right? And, and, and Jesus is speaking this out that because my spirit is with you, my peace is with you. And, they say, and then a couple chapters later in chapter 16, the disciples are freaking out again. If you read the Gospels, this is a common thing for them, you'll recognize. Right? They do this regularly. And, and because they're freaking out now, because Jesus said, I'm leaving. I'm going to go be with the Father, and I'm going to die and not be with, here, with you any longer. And they say, no, we can't accept that. And they start flipping their lid. And so Jesus says here in chapter 16, four, or sorry, chapter 16, verse 7, he says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus left his Holy Spirit with the disciples for him to be with them everywhere they went. They get all of Jesus all the time available to them. So much better. And that's why Jesus could say, it's a, it's a greater benefit to you that I go because I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to be with you. Now, do we believe this as Christians? Again, theologically, we may have heard this at some point. We might assent to this reality. But is this the reality of our lives? Do we actually believe this? Have you ever heard anyone ask, like, imagine if Jesus showed up in this room today. Like, what would you do? How cool it would be if Jesus walked into your church today. Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, we don't have to ask that question because Jesus already said it. He says, you know, this is Jesus, that you know what would be better than me physically standing right next to you, Jesus says? My Holy Spirit being with you. Jesus' words. Better than the God of the universe standing next to us is the Holy Spirit being with us in his full presence right here, right now. Jesus' words. Do we believe that? Again, maybe we do, but I don't think it's practiced by most of us. And part of that's because we're a little wary of the Holy Spirit. There's been so many abuses. The truth is much of the church, we live more of a binatarian faith than a trinitarian faith right? Because we just don't really know what to do. And as a result, we miss out on so much of who Jesus is because he's right here with us right now in his fullness available. And, and you know, every day, multiple times a day, I reinforce this with my kids. I mean, many, many times, all throughout the day, every time we pray and all the other, I mean, Jesus is right here with us. We don't have to be afraid. We can walk in joy. We can rejoice. His love is here. His joy is here. His peace is here. We don't have to freak out if, if we're scared. We don't have to be worried about magnetiles falling down or monsters in the closet or whatever it is. Why? And my kids can tell you because Jesus is right here with us right now, right? I mean, this is what we, we talk about all the time. And for myself, I know this, right? I know this. Jesus is right here with me. I don't need to freak out about finances or, or jobs or family members or loved ones or cancer or whatever else is going on with COVID. I don't have to flip out because he's right here. He is near. He's right here with us. And sometimes it's really hard to remember this. I'm sure you all feel that way. And, and one of the things I've actually been doing as a practice for a while on this one is when I'm really struggling to remember that he's here, sometimes I'll grab a chair and I'll set it next to me. And as I sit down, I just, Jesus, I don't feel you. I don't see you. I don't recognize you. And I just imagine him being sitting in that chair. And I just say, Jesus, but I need you right now. I'm struggling. I'm at the end of my rope. And I need you right now. And sometimes that can help. Just like trying to force my brain to kind of bridge that gap and acknowledge the existence and his reality that he's there and on the really bad days i just go and i sit in that chair and i say jesus i just need to sit in your lap because i need you right now right because i know this is true 
man, so often I forget. Because it's a daily thing, sometimes an hourly thing, that we have to come back to this reality. And so Paul tells us that we don't need to be anxious. We don't need to worry because the God of the universe is right there with you. The Lord is near. And so we can rejoice regardless of the circumstances. We can be known by our gentleness when we're attacked or inconvenienced or send an article on Facebook that we disagree with. I, I love the picture of Jesus' gentleness found in Isaiah. It's one of my favorite verses that is described in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 3. It says, A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. I, I love this picture. Just imagine if Jesus walking through a field of weeds, or, or of reeds, sorry, of bruised ones, that just a little bit of wind and it's going to break over. And as Jesus walks through this field with such gentleness and care, not a single reed is broken. For those that are hurting and struggling, they, he handles with such gentleness and care. Or smoldering wick, with the candles around, he handles it with such gentleness that even a smoldering candle at the end of its life, the wick doesn't go out in Jesus' hands. He handles it with such gentleness. Is that the kind of gentleness that we're known for? On our own strength and the current rhetoric climate that we're in, it seems almost impossible. Right, where, where everything is just kind of, it turned, every dial's turned up to 11. People are typing in all caps and screaming into megaphones and just everything is outrage and it's, it's just so hard to imagine being gentle sometimes in this society. When someone rants, as we talked about last, last week, someone rants or, or they post something we disagree with or they, 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 they try to force us to change our opinion on, on masks or politics or anything, do we respond with gentleness? Is that what we're known for? If someone asks us to put a mask on or invites us to come to their house where they're not wearing masks, regardless of our opinion on the issue, are we responding with gentleness? Or do we move quick towards judgment and offense? If someone gives a statistic or a news article we don't agree with, how do we respond? Is it with gentleness? Can we be the hands and feet of Jesus? Can we love with gentleness the way that Jesus does? And the answer is obviously a resounding yes. We can because Jesus is right here with us. We can love as he loves. We can be gentle as he is gentle because he's near. He's right with us. The empowering presence of Holy Spirit is right here and we don't have to type that response or that angry email or make that snarky comment or choose to be offended. We can respond instead say, I'm sorry you're hurt. I'm sorry you feel disenfranchised. I'm sorry you, fe you, you feel abused or you feel attacked or whatever it is. And we can seek out that person with the gentleness of the Lord in the circumstances. And we can ask the Holy Spirit to give us a gentle word of encouragement, regardless of whether we agree or disagree, or maybe even a gentle rebuke, but the key word being gentle. Right? And we can rejoice because Jesus is near. His promises are true, and he's coming back soon, and we can love well. We can experience his joy over and over and over again. Just like Peter did, we can hold on to Jesus and fix our eyes on him during any storm. You know, the crazy thing about that story about the disciples and the feeding of the 5,000, I mean, that's a crazy miracle, crazy thing God did. And, and, and that's in, in Mark chapter 6, and, as well as on the other Gospels, we read of this radical thing God did. Now, it, it's interesting because these disciples have already seen Jesus do so many miracles up to that point, right? 
but they've never seen Jesus radically provide provision for 5,000, well, 15,000 people, maybe more than 20,000 all at once. That was a new thing. And so they were being tested in new ways. But if you flip just one more page in your Bible, in the book of Mark, from Mark chapter 6 to Mark chapter 8, or if you're in Matthew, it's literally on probably on the same page. It's in the next chapter in Matthew. We get the next story that Jesus tells. This time, Jesus is on a different mountain. This time, it's going to be 4,000 people instead of 5,000 people. And this time, it's going to be seven loaves of bread instead of five, and three fish instead of two. But we know the rest of the story. And he tells it again. I mean, it's almost hilarious when you see what Jesus is doing as a result of this, right? God is doing this on purpose. The last time he clearly said it was a test. You think that one was a test? This one is the test times a thousand. And so Mark chapter 8, verse 1, he says, During those days another large crowd gathered. And since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called in his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. It's the exact same scenario, right? Just different mountain. In fact, they even have more to work with than they did the last time. I mean, there should be like red blinking signs going off, going test, 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 right? I mean, Jesus on the side, is he saying these things? Do you give him something to eat? I'm sure he's just trying to keep a straight face. He's like, <laughs> just off on the side, like, you guys do it this time. I wonder if they'll get it, right? I mean, he's just, this is, is hilarious if it weren't true what's going on here. And so let's look at the disciples' responses in the next verse. Do they get it? Of course not. <laughs> But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to eat? What? They literally just saw him do it with more people, with even less provision, and now they're completely faithless as the fact that God can do this again. And all they see is the mountain in front of them, and they lose sight of Jesus again. I mean, how faithless do you got to get in this position? They don't recognize the king of the universe standing next to them. A different mountain, and they completely lose sight of Jesus. I mean, Jesus couldn't be more obvious if he tried to create a test of some kind. I mean, do you get that? This is so obviously set up that way for them. I would just love to see Jesus' face at that moment, this knowing, gentle, loving smile as he's just like, oh my goodness. They still don't get it. And they start freaking out. I mean, how did they not immediately just laugh and say, ah, oh, I get you. You're not going to get us on this one again, Jesus. And they, hey, guys, let's watch what he's about to do because the Jesus show is about to start. I wonder how he's going to do it this time. Maybe it's going to be quail like in the desert or manna, or is he going to do that multiply the fish and loaves thing? Because this is going to be cool, guys. Let's watch. Jesus is awesome. Right? I mean, that's what they should have done, right? Instead, freak out was the default option, not the peace of God. Oh, so faithless, those disciples. So easy to make fun of. Or as we read scripture, but one of the reasons I love it so much is it's just such a mirror to our hearts. And so there I was last week, freaking out on the front of a different mountain with even less significant situation than what I've dealt with a thousand times before. And I've totally lost sight of Jesus. So did, did I respond in faith? Did I go home and grab the kids and, and say her together and say, hey kids, get some popcorn and let's pray because we're get to watch the Jesus show here. Like God's going to provide, we don't know how, but he's going to provide some miraculous way and maybe it'll be from a distant relative, maybe a, a new stimulus check. I don't know what God's about to do something and let's come together and pray and be thankful and wait for God to move. I'd love to say that's what I did. <laughs> but instead I drove home, put the kids in the other room for a meal had dinner with my wife, and I began counting loaves and fishes. I'm not proud to admit it. I began going through the loaves and counting and recounting. 
and figuring out how am I going to feed 4,000 people with only seven loaves and three fish? Totally forgetting that he's done it so many times with more people with more loaves and fish. And I lost sight of that. I didn't recognize that the Savior, my gentle, loving Lord, is literally right there next to me with a giant smile on his face. I totally lost sight of him in the midst of just a slight change of scenery, and I totally lost sight of him. But I'm so grateful. Because I went to bed that night, and I, I woke up the next morning, and I knew I was all out of sorts. I mean, I, 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 was, I was a mess. And as I woke up the next morning, I just went to have an extended time with the Lord, and I came right here to this exact passage in Philippians chapter 4. And I just said, Lord, I need to rejoice, Lord, because you are near. Jesus, I need you right now, and I know that you are near. So, Lord, I want to take everything to prayer. I want to be thankful, Father. Help me. I need your peace right now. And the most incredible thing happened. This was literally last Wednesday morning as I'm sitting there in, in my office at home, and I'm just sitting there on the chair, and I just acknowledge, and I say, Jesus, I need you. I saw him again. And it's, it's like everything changed in a moment. And I said, there you are. Obviously, he never left. And as I saw him, I experienced his peace, just as he describes there in, in, in verse 6 and 7, where he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your mind and, mind and your heart. And in that moment, I felt his peace. It was overwhelming at that moment. It, and it wasn't just a feeling. I mean, it was so much better, because in verse 9 is where he tells us, we don't just get a feeling of peace, but it says, and the God of peace will be with you. The Prince of Peace himself. We don't just get a temporary feeling that comes and goes depending on circumstances. The Prince of Peace is with us through all the circumstances. And in that moment, it all became clear. And I just spent so much time just thanking him and praising him and thanking him in that moment. And it just was such clarity and beauty in that moment that I don't need to worry. I don't need to freak out because God is with me. And he's with me right now. No matter the circumstances. If the finances turn around, well, he's with me then. If they don't turn around, he's still with me and we're going to see him soon. If the cancer is healed, he's with us. Amen. If the cancer isn't healed, he's still with us and he's returning soon. And so I can rejoice. I don't have to let the situation of the world raise my anxiety levels and match what the world is doing. I can walk with Jesus because he's right here with me. If the kids aren't perfect, if they're struggling, I can rejoice because God of peace is right here with me and he's coming back soon. I can respond with gentleness. I don't have to worry, not because of my present circumstances are great, but because God is with me. He's with me right here, and his promises are true. The Lord is near. And next week, or the week after, or the month after that, when it's a different mountain in front of me, and all of a sudden, like Peter, I find myself sinking. I, I totally lose sight of Jesus again. And I notice that tension rising in my chest. I notice the queasiness growing in my stomach. And I'm going, ah! 
ah, what do I do? My hope and prayer is I will turn to Jesus more quickly than I did this last time, and I will recognize that my loving, gentle Savior is right here next to me, the God of peace, and I can turn to him. I don't have to go down that road of freaking out again. Way before I let my magnetile roof cave in again. And the reality is, this is even a practice that I do regularly. For over a decade now, this is a practice I've been doing as a spiritual discipline, just continuing to go to the Lord and trying to emphasize, just, just experience the reality of His presence with me. I mean, Brother Lawrence calls it practicing the presence of God, and someday we'll do a whole sermon series on that. But that Jesus is with us here right now. I mean, I couldn't have made it through this last year and the crisis and the trauma and the trials had that not been a regular practice. But with a slight scenery change, it all went out the window. And so, Jesus, I just came to again and say, Lord, I want to proclaim your, 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 your faithfulness. I want to be thankful. I want to trust you. And I want to rejoice no matter the outcome. Not just next month, but today and the next day and the next day because the God of peace is here with us. And his peace surpasses all understanding. And so, church, we can rejoice. We can hold on to him. We can rejoice when we move to stage two, right? And we can rejoice when we move back to stage one. <laughs> We can rejoice when we feel like we're winning the war on COVID. And we can even rejoice if a new strain takes us back to April 2020. Hallelujah. <laughs> we can be gentle in all things through attacks and divisions or whatever Facebook article someone tags me in. We can be gentle because the Lord is near. We can look at Jesus and we can choose to rejoice. We can choose to see him. We can choose to be gentle. We can choose to be thankful no matter the circumstances because the God of peace, the Prince of Peace is right here with us, right now, and he's coming soon. The Lord is near. Amen? Amen. And so Jesus, we just say thank you that you are here. You are right here with us, Lord. And though we lose sight of you, it seems more often than not, it doesn't change the reality that you're right here with us. And so, Father, for each of us, may you grow us in our capacity to walk in a greater awareness of the reality of your presence with us that you've never left and you're right here with us. And may you turn our eyes back to you. And may we continually rejoice, Jesus. Proclaim your faithfulness. Reach out to you and declare how amazing and wonderful you are, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.